Hello again, everybody. This is the self-described cybersecurity graybeard with episode eight. Today, I'm going to talk about cybersecurity deployments, architecture, and infrastructure. I'm going to get a little bit more detailed and technical on how architectures and infrastructures come about, who designs them, the teams that are involved, and some more specifics. This all comes about from an email from a, a, a listener, uh, Liam. Again, names are changed to protect the innocent as always. And he reached out and said that he'd been on hiatus from information technology for about three years, kind of wanted to get an update. And he appreciated uh, how I was vendor neutral and how I have real world experience in what I'm talking about. And he specifically asked me to go over a little bit more detail, getting down and dirty, I guess, with some of the technology. So I'm going to spend about 10 minutes here going ahead and doing that. Um, before I do so, though, I wanted to go ahead and thank everybody for listening and watching. Uh, very impressed that uh, this has gone global, actually. I have folks um, all over the world uh, listening. Actually, 42% of all listeners are outside of uh, North America, certainly as far as the podcast goes. Um, so thank you very much. I really enjoy the emails. I've received a number of them, and it's nice having conversations back and forth and getting ideas for additional topics. So you can reach out at cybergraybeard at gmail.com, and feel free to check out my little website, cybergraybeard.com as well. Uh, and uh, you can send me a note from there as well. It just gives you a little bit of background on me and kind of what I'm trying to do here for early professionals and students with this um, podcast and YouTube channel. Um, for the students out there, I'd really appreciate it if you could let your professors know and the universities and colleges you attend know about the Cybersecurity Graybeard. Maybe they can mention it to the classes and help other students find me and gain some uh, knowledge about real-world uh, expertise and real-world use cases for cyber and really put people on the path for getting jobs outside of school. Really good probably for juniors and seniors in particular or um, folks that are nearing the end for their associate's degrees. Last thing before I get started on the technical discussion, I wanted to mention that I'll be speaking at the IIA and ISACA 6th Annual IT Hacking uh, and Cybersecurity Conference in Chicago. It's at the Swiss Hotel in Chicago, and I'll be speaking on Tuesday, October 29th, so spread the word for that. And the conference is actually on the 28th and 29th. I believe I have the last speaking spot on the last day, so I'm, I'm honored about that. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into the, the thick of things. Again, I'm going to talk about the cybersecurity deployments, architecture, infrastructure, and the projects as a whole. So to begin, I, I wanted to mention that organizations identify what they need in any number of ways. Sometimes it's very simple. A server is too maxed. They need another one. They go ahead and get another one. Very easy. Or they realize they need a new technology like an intrusion prevention system, and they're already working with an existing vendor, and that vendor happens to have an IDS, so they just install that. It can be very easy. It can also get very complicated where a company has rules where they can't sole source or single source a solution. So they do something called an RFP or an RFI or an RFQ. I call them RFXs, but it's a request for a proposal a quote, or just information. And it's how organizations reach out to companies that deliver solutions and say, hey, what do you have? Here are my problems. Can you solve my problems? What are you going to do to solve my problems? And how much is it going to cost? Some of those get very complicated and they can turn into hundreds of pages. I actually once did a response <clears throat> for a major telecommunications company and with all the documents we sent to them it was over a thousand pages so uh, to get into deciding what your infrastructure is going to be it can take quite a bit of work in addition to that there are a lot of people that are involved you have project management procurement architects engineers support account executives sellers management 
executive leadership, administration that helps write and compile the RFX uh, responses. Um, it's a major team effort. And the bigger the project, the more people that are going to be involved. Because think about it. You could have a project manager on the Unix side and a project manager on the security side. And then both the vendor has it and then the uh, customer has it. So you could have four, five, six project managers on one project. Uh, it can get very detailed. And the more complicated the infrastructure, which I'll get into here shortly, uh, you'll start to understand that. Additionally, when we're talking about a new add-on, uh, I'm sorry, a new infrastructure, a new deployment versus an add-on, they're very different. As I said a minute ago, if you have a firewall that needs a new device so you can go highly available and have redundancy, that can be very simple and you're adding on to the existing environment. Whereas if you are going to go ahead and say, listen, we don't have any intrusion prevention, we need to go ahead and deploy it and we have 16 sites and three continents in 19 countries and we need to figure out how to deploy just intrusion prevention in this environment, it can get very complicated. Um, in addition to that, <clears throat> we need to talk about uh, cloud solutions versus on-premise solutions versus hybrid solution, which is a mix between the two. So I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about that as well. Cloud is easily its own podcast. On-prem is as well and hybrid. So I'm really going to talk about it a bit at a high level. Uh, I do want to get a, a bit more detailed though for Liam and for those that are interested in some of the specifics. So understand that you can have uh, those three implementations and I'll get into those here shortly. Uh, before I do, I'm going to really talk mostly about five of the technologies that I touched on in the first three parts of my six-part series. Um, this going to be the routing, the firewalls, IDS, IPS, intrusion detection and intrusion prevention, spam protection and endpoint protection, and how those can fit into a final solution. I'll go over that at the end before, though, I wanted to go ahead and start talking about cloud, on-prem, and hybrid. So cloud, you can have a public cloud, you can have a private cloud. Private cloud, it's your organization's data on its own iron in a client site, I'm sorry, in a, in a vendor like AWS or Google or at IBM, they have it as well, um, Azure for Microsoft. So you can have a cloud solution that is private just for you, or it can be public where you may be sharing some infrastructure with others. There's bifurcation and you could have tenancy, uh, but it's not going to be your own setup. And some organizations really require that, especially when you're dealing with regulations such as HIPAA, PCI, Sarbanes-Oxley, etc. So cloud, you have everything at Azure or AWS or IBM SoftLayer, one of those or something similar. Additionally, you can build your own cloud deployment with a company like SunGuard uh, and others that are out there which do uh, iron providing. They're basically co-location facilities. Um, SunGuard, I think, is the biggest. Uh, Equinox is another one. They're a very big one. On-premise, that is where the gear is yours, your company monitors, manages, and maintains it, and you own it all outright. You're dealing with the demilitarized zone or the DMZ, the network function virtualization, routing, VLANs, uh, firewalls, all the equipment. It's all you. When you outsource and you go to a cloud, then the, the provider is going to have the equipment that you're going to most likely have to configure. However, the, the technologies are there and the security capability exists but the organization that buys the service most often needs to um, to configure it. And again, that depends on whether you're doing software as a service, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service, so on and all that stuff. Um, it depends on, on how far you go up. But I digress. That's for another conversation. Then the hybrid. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. 
Um, you need to understand the demarcation. Some of this stuff is on site, like maybe I have um, my core crown jewels, all my corporate intellectual property is on site, but I have my email outsourced with Office 365, or maybe I have um, some other tools, file and print services that are sent to another organization. A lot of companies are st started out with cloud by doing the hybrid because of control. They wanted to make sure that they owned it themselves. When you're doing a little bit, a little bit of that with the hybrid, you need to make sure that you have something called the RACI, where you know who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted, and who's informed. So the, the demarcation of responsibilities is quite clear. You need to know that because if a company, and this has happened many times, companies think, oh, I'm now using a uh, platform as a service or infrastructure as a service, and that vendor is providing all my security. Then there's a breach, and the vendor comes back and says, whoa, 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 we don't own that. A very good example is what happened with Capital One in the summer of 2019. There was a breach and they were using uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services. And it was kind of nice to see that both Amazon and Capital One came out and said, hey, the WAF that was penetrated was Capital One's responsibility. This was not a failure of the cloud. This was a failure of human error, basically, with the web application firewall. So having the RACI and knowing who is responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed helped those organizations, Capital One and Amazon know who was responsible for what. So once you know about the type of deployment that you're going to do, uh, then it's necessary to, for the architect to determine how many of each device is required, um, where they're going to go, potentially how to configure them. So we're really talking a lot about what versus how. And so the architect is going to say, this is what you have. And this is what I want you to configure. And then an engineer that's going to build it is going to know mostly on the how. Architects have to understand the what as well, because if they're going to go ahead and give something that cannot be done, then you have a, 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 a problem. And then you have an engineer that has to build something that's not possible. So imagine building a wheel, a, a car with square tires. Architect has to understand the car needs round tires. Likewise, with support, when they get involved, the engineer has to build it so support can support it based off the original architect's design. So to get a little bit technical, and I'm going over time a bit, but this is a really complicated topic and I don't want to leave Liam short. Um, I want to talk about some of the, the, the implementation. So you can have something very basic, and I'll give you from my personal experience. I had a client in Minnesota. They were a, uh, a co-op uh, in the agricultural space, and they simply wanted to install some video conferencing. So there were about six cameras that were installed and about three devices that went into the data center. We made sure that we put them behind the firewall. We modified the access control list on the firewall so they could reach out and remote people could get in and communicate with those devices. It was quite simple. There was not a lot to it. One firewall modification. Um, another situation at a company that I, I work for has to do with a very complicated solution where my company was designing an application for a healthcare company, putting it inside of our cloud, and then we were responsible for monitoring, managing, and maintaining all security aspects. So we needed to make sure that we could tie into all the cloud tools that were going to then send information to the SIM, the security incident and event management or security information, security intelligence, whatever you want to call it. It's a SIM. And you had multiple companies and multiple teams. And you had multiple groups within companies trying to communicate. So when we had a firewall, and we had the intrusion detection and prevention, and we had log source aggregators inside the cloud dumping out to our tool, we needed to know who was responsible for what so they could open up a ticket, who to communicate with, when and how. Much, much more complicated. 
Another situation was for another global company that I worked for earlier in my career, where we had, uh, it was basically a pyramid and you had nine sites, three in EMEA, um, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, three in Asia Pacific, and three in the United States. And we needed to make sure that all the networks were communicating. So when I would be configuring a router in the US, I needed to make sure that I was utilizing the templates that our architects gave us so that all the routers for the American sites had the ability to communicate with the routers in APAC and EMEA going through the core. And the reason you do the triangle is if one site goes down, you still have high availability and redundancy between the other two. So if a major site went down in Bubingen, Germany, for example, you would still have them up and running in France and in Italy. And then and the Americans would be able to get there and the uh, Asia Pacific people could get there too. And so the way that we would do it is we would have project managers set up and say, okay, cybersecurity graybeard, you need to go ahead and build a site for Melbourne, Florida. And when you build it, you need to make sure that the telcos are turned on at the right time, that the router is communicating not only with the North American routers, but that it can also communicate with the um, other international routers. And so the groups that I communicated with were done through the project management, both at the human communication level, and then I had to make sure that it worked at the network level, network communication level. And in the same respect, the intrusion prevention and intrusion detection systems that we had set up needed to know about this new router so that it was whitelisted and then they didn't see that there were assaults coming through from a new router that was put on that they think could be a, an inappropriate device but that this was one that was authorized. So then the intrusion prevention and intrusion detection teams needed to know about this new device that was put up. So we have the communication between me and my project manager, and we had to know what teams to include to make sure that what I built and set up was authorized. So again, it can be very complicated. It gets even deeper when we talk about the endpoint systems where you'll have semantic endpoint or McAfee has one as well. I think Avira does. There's so many different endpoint protection systems out there that again, now I have set up a new router. Well, how do the endpoint protection people know about it? What do they know about this new IP address that's on the environment? Is it authorized? Or if we put up a server and not necessarily a router, something that's not infrastructure, but it is an FTP server, does it have antivirus on it? It. What are we doing about penetration uh, testing or checking on that device? So all these different teams need to get involved. So you start to see the items that I discussed in my previous three topics about what team to join. They all work together and they all come together when you have the infrastructure and the architecture and the deployment. So again, this has gone on a little bit longer than most of my discussions, but I think it's very important to realize that these are real world implementations and uses for the technologies discussed. So again, I really encourage you, if there were topics I touched on here that were interesting or you want me to delve deeper, I'm happy to. Um, just talking about it, I think I'm going to get deeper on the hybrid, the cloud, and the um, on-prem to give some understanding there. And I definitely want to answer more for Liam about the detail on spam protection, endpoint protection, firewalls, IDS, IPS, and, and even more so than I did here, get down and dirty with that. So those are my, my quick ideas for some future uh, discussions. And certainly send me an email at cybergraybeard at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought about this. Is it too much information? Is it still too high level? Was it helpful? I'd love to hear from you. So definitely reach out. And uh, you can hit the website as well at cybergraybeard.com. Thanks a lot. I hope this was valuable.